and welcome to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. We certainly hope you, your family, and friends are safe in this very strange state the world is in right now. I keep on saying, I hope by the, because we record these episodes a few episodes in advance, and I keep on saying, I hope by the time you hear this, we're in a much better state than we are. I don't know if that's going to be the case, but I want to send everyone love from all of us here at Adventures in DevOps. We hope you and yours stay safe. Indeed. This episode is sponsored by Gravitational. As your team and cloud infrastructure grows, you may want to reevaluate how you access SSH servers and Kubernetes clusters. Gravitational Teleport is an emerging open source replacement for OpenSSH, which was built for modern cloud workflows. Teleport is opinionated. It does not allow SSH keys, and instead it insists on certificate-based authentication, making it dead easy to set up and use. Teleport is fully compatible with your SSH and Kubernetes tooling, comes with a beautiful web UI and an audit log, and it allows users to access servers outside of data centers like IoT devices. It was called Teleport because it creates the illusion that all your company's servers are in the same room with you, even if some of them are self-driving vehicles. Download Teleport on gravitational.com teleport or find it on github.com gravitational teleport. All right. Well, we, uh, as always, I'm Nell Shamrell Harrington. I'm your staff engineer at Mozilla. And with me are my co-hosts, uh, Scott. How are you doing today? Good. Hey, I'm Scott Nixon, and I'm a DevOps uh, engineer at Stelligent. Just uh, excited to talk about digital transformations today. Awesome. And Mr. Tyler Bird, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks. Uh, I'm Tyler Bird. I'm a senior DevOps engineer over at Cengage Learning, and uh, we're doing a lot of digital transformation at Cengage, that's for sure. Uh, one of the biggest things that's happened in the last number of years is going from print to digital. And so not only were we digitizing our product, but we're also doing a lot of digital transformation and, and leading the way there. So uh, it's, a, it's a new job for me. I've been there for a couple months now, but I'm really enjoying it and having a good time. Awesome. And with us is our special guest today to talk about digital transformations, uh, Joe Garber. Joe, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, obviously, my name is Joe Garber. I work for MicroFocus. I'm Global Head of Strategy and Solutions. Uh, MicroFocus, as you, you may know, is, is a very large company, uh, 40,000 customers around the world. Uh, we, we tend to help customers with, with uh, their digital transformations in, in one of four areas, whether it's hybrid IT or, or DevOps or security risk and governance and uh, predictive analytics. Awesome. We are very happy to have you here. And let's go ahead and jump right into it. So something I thought of when I was looking over our prep document for the show is you know, there's, a, there's a thing online uh, called the DevOps buzzword bingo. And I'm pretty sure digital transformation is, uh, is a prominent square on there. Uh, it's a phrase that gets thrown around a lot. Everyone seems to want it. Uh, Joe, what does digital transformation mean to you? Well, it can mean, to your point, a number of different things. Um, typically, what we are hearing from our customers is they want to move faster. They want to have greater flexibility and agility. Uh, they want to uh, protect the things that matter most to them, their identities, their applications, and their data, and, and they want to get insights from their information. So it's, it's about providing ultimately you know, different types of experiences and engagement, but typically around one of those four areas, uh, uh, which again, kind of align to the, the four areas that, that I outlined earlier. 
Sounds like it's a way to help your customers move higher, further, faster, to quote my favorite movie from last year, Captain Marvel. <laughs> I think that's, that's a good way to summarize it. So what, I get, one of the things I, I guess I'm interested in around this whole kind of topic is what is typically spawning, like what, what are kind of the use cases you typically see? Obviously, you explained some of these, but like maybe a little more specific like th that is causing people to reach out and try to get help, find consultants uh, to kind of engage on something like this? Well, I think one right now was mentioned at the outset of the show, which is the impact of, of COVID-19 and, and, and what's happening to all of us in, in our work environments. Uh, it looks like we're all working working from home at this stage, and uh, you know that's that has a, a significant impact. It, it makes you ask different types of questions. How do I prepare for... Uh, obviously from people who are working from home or different different volumes of, of traffic uh, that I have to deal with or how do I protect the information or both my, my employees' information but also my enterprise's information uh, as they're working from home. So, you know, we're seeing all kinds of questions come up now and, and, and interestingly and, and, and fortunately for, for, for many organizations, those that have got it, gotten started with digital transformation or have a step forward or, and, and moving farther, faster, quicker uh, in terms of responding to these new challenges because they started taking those steps earlier on. But I think that's, that's one of the big ones right now. It's, you know, it's again, it, it's also about, you, you tend to hear about organizations being driven into digital transformation because for a variety of different reasons, of course. And I tend to talk about it as the top line and the bottom line. So there's the top line driving revenue. It's how do I get more insights out of my information and drive drive revenue itself? How do I engage with my customers more customers more effectively? How do I deliver applications or or your know, product to to market more effectively? And then you take the, the bottom line. It's how do I streamline efficiencies. Uh, in, in the organization with things like RPA as an example, how do I um, make sure I'm, I'm testing appropriately uh, for, from a quality perspective? How do I protect the things that matter, as I talked about earlier, uh, to make sure that I don't expose my organization to risk? So it's kind of a yin and yang of things that's driving people towards digital transformation. And I, one of the things I'm curious about is how invested do you, do, do these companies that you typically work with, are you finding that they realize that, that some of their problems are also kind of like cultural in the sense, you know, like to move faster. So the typical idea with DevOps is part of it is that you just need to, you know, you need like a, you need to have a pipeline that delivers your software as quickly as possible. And you need to, you know, everything needs to be turned into code and you have to, you know, you have to get into this, this rhythm of releasing software, like, every day, weekly, maybe multiple times a day, those types of things. You know, like, I'm kind of curious what you've seen around those kind of pieces. Well, well cultural, it, it, has, it can be, you can look at that from a lot of different perspectives. I think the one is, is does the culture, does the organization have a culture that rewards taking risks and putting yourself in a position to try new things? And, and what, I, what I see sometimes, and in fact, there's some different studies, our business school, I think, did one recently about a number of, a significant number of digital transformations fail. And it's because the organization wasn't bought into it at the, at the top level. Uh, they, and or uh, the, the goalposts keep moving. And so it's, it, it, the, while investments are being made, they're being made and, and then changed over time. And so you know, culturally, you need to be able to you know, fail fast, as, as you're familiar with, and, and, and not 
be in a position where you're going to overly penalize people for 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 failing fast. So I think you know from that perspective, no no question. Uh, culturally, you know, the, the, the culture of an organization has a significant impact on whether or not digital transformation will, will succeed. And then, you know, that, that goes down through the organization in terms of uh, willingness to try different things, uh, the, the willingness to leverage AI and machine learning, as an example. There, there are some organizations that, that are less welcoming of, of those types of technologies. It's, it's, that's becoming less so today. Uh, but but that's certainly an important part of it too. Is is looking not just having the culture of saying, you know, let, let's let's reward uh, risk taking, but also uh, then you know let's make sure we look at the problem holistically. It's not just this one problem in this one business unit, even though that's where it's being funded. Uh, you know, the, and that's where the budget tip, tip tends to sit. But let's look holistically at, at our whole set of problems. Can, can a layer of artificial intelligence, machine learning, support many different aspects of it? And then, and then, can we go and solve those problems in a way that's uniform, that's integrated, that doesn't require organizations to, you know, effectively start from scratch? And one of my favorite uh, applications of machine learning and AI I read about was the U.S. Air Force. Uh, when their uh, planes come in, they have something on the runway or wherever the plane gets parked uh, that takes a picture of the underside of the plane, where all the gear mm -hmm. is. And they've taken so many pictures, they can now predict when a piece of equipment is going to fail uh, before it actually fails. Uh, which is something I never would have thought of, but very, very important to their mission of uh, keep keeping their, their planes in the air and keeping their uh, pilots safe. Yeah, well, it, it, there, there are other, that's a great example. There, there are others that, that we're seeing with our customers where they're using it for sustainable farming. It's similar idea. They have you know, hundreds of, of acres of, of farmland and they're using artificial intelligence machine learning to figure out the right mix of fertilizer and, and watering and, and pesticide as necessary and so forth, or uh, you know, using it for protecting or your, your, in this case, it's a port uh, for, from uh, terrorist activity by triangulating the you know, license plates and social media feeds and face recognition. You automate all of these processes, you, you bring back some information and it helps you identify potential risks to you and, and your citizens. So it's, there are a number of interesting examples of, of where AI and machine learning comes in. And again, it all, all underpinned by having the ability to digitally transform to be able to take advantage of those in the first place. So I was thinking about this and I was thinking about uh, each individual company is a, a different place. Um, what is your favorite place to, to jump into the digital transformation? Do you like to get in when they're kind of late in the game, maybe maturing this, their, their transformation? Or do you like to be in at the beginning? What's one of your favorite stories of, of getting in there or, or talking to companies about that? Well, it's a good question. Honestly, we've done both. Uh, we, we were part of... Uh, the uh, Istanbul Grand Airport, uh, where they were developing their operations from from scratch, you know, largely there it was a, it was a greenfields operation where they they built the organization and obviously a significant amount of technology necessary to to build an airport of that that magnitude uh, and, and operate it uh, at, at that level. Uh, so we we can certainly do that. I I will answer the question though directly and say, you know, my favorite time tends to be later on in, in, in an organization's maturity. And that's because they see so many more benefits. They've, they've been constrained for, for a period of time by some inefficiencies, some, 
some challenges that they've had that it's it they they light up when they see what they can actually accomplish when they in fact go through and, and methodically accomplish their objectives around digital transformation and it's it's not easy by the way you know and, and there there is there is a desire to with those types of organizations to, to go in and, and sort of rip and replace is start from scratch i'm going to take everything that i had and start all over because that gets me at least conceptually to the, the bleeding edge much more quickly but what many of those organizations that are mature don't recognize off the bat often is there there are so many you know core systems that, that are out you know out in place cobalt types of systems that have been around in some cases for 60 years depending on obviously the length of an organization's uh, tenure if you will uh, but they they realize that there's there's been this IP that's built up around and these processes that have been built up around the technology that if they go and rip and replace there are so many things that happen behind the scenes that can degrade ROI and introduce new risk that you need to to make sure you uh, you know go go about it in, in in a really methodical way. We talk about that typically as smart digital transformation or modernizing some of your core systems to, in, a, in a much more methodical way to, to accomplish your, your long-term goals. I remember reading, uh, this may not be still, but I suspect it is, a lot of the IRS's software was written in the Kennedy era. Uh, it still runs, uh, it, hopefully, uh, right. on mainframe. And the idea, you know, if you come to them and suggest to them, all right, I want to rip all of this out and do something completely new. Well, that has major economic implications <laughs> for the entire country. And, and risk implications. Yeah, it's right. you're, you're opening up different opportunities for breaches and for you know, uh, complications around governance and, and, and regulations to be, to be broken that uh, you, you may, didn't, may not have seen right off the bat. So you're absolutely right. That's, that's, that's something to keep your eyes wide open on. So Joe, I, on, the gov on the topic of government stuff, so I, I um, I'll give a quick anecdote. When I, when I lived in California, I went online, filled out my form to change my address for my car registration, all done, plenty of time. All of a sudden, like my car registration never comes. I go to the DMV, get this thing fixed. And the, the, how I knew that this was like a disaster was that um, the guy at the DMV told me that somebody had to, he essentially just said, oh yeah, basically somebody has to retype what you typed in to then change it in the system. So they're probably like looking at a printout or looking at a screen and like reentering it. And so on the topic of these organizations that are 30 and 50 years old, like what is what is it that you think is holding these big governmental organizations back for actually making these transformations? Well, there there are a number of examples where that's not the case, but but there are there are clearly some where it is the case, and I've had similar experiences to you. So you're talking uh, I, I mostly about you're talking mostly about the DMV too, right? Well, I mean anything. I mean, like like you said, the IRS. I mean, everything is pretty bad. Like like. All of, you know, it's funny because Utah is one of the good states uh, for stuff like this. But I don't know. I just think that there's a lot of like governmental systems that it just takes them a really long time to to kind of really fix stuff and replace these old systems. Right. Yeah, I, I would say my my answer would be the fear of the unknown. You know, what change is always a difficult thing to do. Uh, it, it, some uncertainty around what risk they might introduce, as I talked about. And and then you know, honestly, 
it's it's a lot like the conversations around platforms of the past. It was there there was it, it felt like there was so much to do and so complex. It was a boil the ocean kind of approach. And I think oftentimes when you start exploring that conversation with people and you and you say, well, let's break this down in, into small pieces and then prioritize those pieces, it becomes a lot easier and a, and a lot more palatable. And I think many times you find that people just haven't had that conversation, help them prioritize, help them see that there is a, a, a methodical, you know, again, I've used that term a couple of times for, for a reason, approach to, to, to something whereby you can be, you, you, can, you can eliminate some of the risk, uh, not have to boil the ocean, not have to, to spend all this money up front to start to see some results. I think that's really where you see some of the biggest challenges, honestly. Are you stuck at home climbing the walls when you should be hanging out with the community at the latest conference to get canceled? Are you wondering where to hear your JavaScript heroes like Amy Knight and Douglas Crockford and Chris Heilman? After the cancellations, I decided to put on a JavaScript conference for you online. I invited my favorite folks from around the web and got them to come speak at an online event just for you. Go to jsremoteconf.com and check out our speakers and schedule. The conference is on May 14th and 15th. The call for proposals is open until March 31st. Come join us at an online conference that we guarantee will keep you safe and keep you informed. JSRemoteConf.com. How do you, when you come into a customer, how do you help them figure out where to start? Well, <clears throat> it, it sounds right, but, but listening, you know, first and foremost is, is one of the most important parts. It's, it's oftentimes as I talked about, you know, there, people tend to, end up having a challenge in, in one of four areas. And it's, I mentioned before, with hybrid IT, DevOps, security, or, or, or predictive analytics. And in, in helping them compartmentalize and, and identify and, and put their challenges into one, one or many of those buckets is, is kind of a next step because it makes it just so much more approachable, if you will. Uh, and, and, then, and then you go through the process of, of you know, force, force ranking the requirements they have and and putting the bubbling up the ones that matter the most and and that's that's no that's no secret when i used to talk about gdpr and privacy regulations it was it was a lot of the same things it's it's a big challenge that touches on many parts of the organization where do you start and it's where where you need to start where, where your biggest risk exposure is your greatest opportunities are and let's let's start there and you know mix that with some of the lowest hanging fruit and and you start to put together a plan that works for them something i just really uh, listening to you, you brought up GDPR, and I think it relates to what we're seeing now with COVID-19, is I think what scared people the most about GDPR was, as you said, the unknown. No one knew how it was going to be enforced. No one knew how it was going to be changed with COVID-19 now. We have no idea how long it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, how long we're going to be in lockdown mode. We don't know how it's going to evolve. And just occurred to me, digital transformation is kind of preparing an organization for the unknown so that they can move quicker and adapt to whatever the world throws at them. Yeah, that's, well, that's a great point. And, and we're certainly seeing that with some of our customers already. They're, we're, we're seeing, we're hearing reports from them of, uh, there's one customer came to us and said, I, I can't, someone came to us on Friday and said we had to prepare for 90% of our workforce working from home on Monday. And we were able to do that. It's because they started taking the steps for digital transformation earlier on that allowed them to make those, those, those changes pretty quickly. Yeah, and it's not as simple as opening a Zoom account that doesn't solve all your problems, right? <laughs> it, uh, it solves many of them, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but I agree with you. So uh, you talked about the four sections that um, MicroFocus um, focuses on. 
Uh, and enterprise DevOps is, is one of them. Since we're a DevOps podcast, I kind of have a rolling thing in my head that I think a company has to be a certain size before they really start to split people out into DevOps roles, meaning uh, a lot of times with very small startups, it's just everyone wears the hat when they have to, you know, and mm-hmm. that's because they only have to deploy five servers. You know, what's, what's the smallest company that you've, that you've worked with um, and would it be too soon to jump into it if they're still so small? Do they need to be a bigger size before they actually have to get into the safer but fast enterprise DevOps? Well, I think I think moving faster and is is a good thing for anyone. Uh, truth be told, I'm probably not the best person to answer that question because Microfocus tends to work with larger size organizations. So. Uh, my my answer is going to be skewed that way simply because that's that's where our experience tends to be. Uh, we certainly work with partners that that sell our our technology on, on smaller scale as well. But the short answer is, uh, in, in my in my opinion, you know, moving fast, being able to, uh, to 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 drive some changes more quickly is is something that 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 most organizations want. Uh, it's it's it, the question is one of economics at that point is does it make sense at this stage? Yeah, that makes sense. I think that if and a lot of times they're with a smaller company, you might think that they are already digital, meaning they're already on the edge of things. And part of digital transformation is going back to uh, established companies and helping them move forward technologically. Um, and so, yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. So if people are looking to find somebody to help them with digital transformations, what should they look for in someone like a, a micro focus or, or others? Well, I think there are a number of things. One, the first one that comes to mind is longevity. Uh, digital transformation isn't something that happens overnight. It's, it's typically a you know, set of initiatives that you do over a long period of time. And if, if, if you're going to an organization and you're asking for their help and you're not sure they're going to be in business 12, 24 months down the road or, or, or even further, that, that should raise a red flag in and of itself because you, you're probably going to need their help for a longer period of time uh, than, than that realistically. If, if, if you're going about digital transformation in, 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 a, in a truly long-term sense as opposed to looking for just, just individual you know, silver bullet types of projects. That, that'd be that'd be one significant one I would look for. The second is breadth of portfolio. Um, there, there are certainly companies that can solve a specific problem uh, around digital transformation. But if you're looking at the problem holistically, you're looking at all the aspects of your organization that that need to digitally transform. Uh, you know, pu- pulling together parts of technology from various places that aren't combat- compatible, and that's really an important part doesn't probably make a lot of sense. So that'd be, that'd be the a second thing I'd, I'd be looking for. Uh, a third would be, you know, along the lines of being compatible, it's, and I talked about ripping, ripping and replacing versus being, having, pursuing a modernization strategy, you know, technology that's you know, backwards compatible, that integrates with other technologies would be you know, a third important thing. And the fourth would be the, the, analytics ecosystem that they bring to bear. You know, we talked about the benefits just in a couple of very simple examples earlier. Well, they're not simple, but they're a couple of examples, I should say, or earlier. But that are the, the ability to leverage artificial intelligence, machine learning, advanced analytics uh, supports so many different aspects of digital transformation that 
uh, if you go in and then they don't have a broad broad ecosystem of, of, of analytics, then you're probably not going to, you, you might serve your needs today, but down the road where you need to streamline things more, get additional insights, you might find yourself in a position of a disadvantage. So we've probably all seen the downfall of, of Sears. And why I bring that up is I loved going to Sears so much. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Enjoy but, the side of Sears? Yes. That softer side. Well, I was talking um, with my with my mother about this earlier, uh, and kind of griping that there was a a clickbaity article saying these these companies are going to um, not survive, the, you know, in the new digital world and and commerce world. And I, I thought Sears was already gone. You know, they've they haven't been around for so long, and I, I bring that up to kind of. Uh, you know, think of as a polarizing question of like, what are some of the uh, companies that you think you might not ever work with, like an Apple or a Google or something, because they already have digital transformation as part of their culture versus someplace that it's it still needs to be brought in. Who do you think you'll, who are your white whales uh, that you don't think you'll ever probably work with? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. Uh, it, the answer is, I, I don't know that there is any company that we probably won't work with at some point. And, and, and the reason why is digital transformation will be something that most organizations of, of, of a, you know, starting at a certain size of mom and pop, obviously that's, that's excluded from the conversation, but uh, really large banks, do they, do they need to digitally transform? Of course they do. You would think that their technology in, in many cases would be to a point where they wouldn't still need to, but they absolutely do. Uh, is is it is it government agencies? No, absolutely, the government agencies need to. Obviously, some are lagging, as we talked about. Um, you know, is it pharmaceutical and healthcare? They're they're very you know significant technology companies. No, they they absolutely do too. So it's we you know we have forty thousand customers, and there's a reason why. It's because organizations in many verticals of many of many types of of many ages all need to digitally transform in one way or another. You'll never be done with DevOps. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, do you find, um, one of the things I often think about is kind of like the disconnect between what like an executive, their expectations of being able to get something done is versus what, what the timeline of really do, pushing that through in the organization. What are like some common expectation mismatches that you think happen kind of in this space? Well, I, I think the, the most common is the, the silver bullet. I, I'm, I'm digital transformation is this one project, and, and I'm, everything's going to be solved, and and that's and that's absolutely not the case. It's it requires multiple initiatives, or as I said, over a long period of time to, to happen. I think that's that's the biggest challenge we we often see in in, in any sort of big project is 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 providing the timeline to it. Um, and so that, that's that that's that's the biggest one we, we tend to uh, run across. I think the other one is the you know, and we've talked about it a couple of times now, but the importance of AI and machine learning uh, and and you know, how that can be used. It, it's it's many organizations tend to think of well, that's that's my big data project, uh, and and it is that it definitely fits there, but it do, it definitely fits in many other aspects of of a digital transformation or organization operations as well. So I think you know those are those are probably two of the biggest ones that I that I tend to see. So 
to continue in the uh, the challenging question segments of this podcast. I do you um, do you think do you see that these large organizations do they still create, uh, treat kind of IT as a cost center, or do you start do you think that that has started to transform and change kind of in the mindset as well? Well, it, it depends. Uh, there, it's it's a cost center certainly in in, in some examples. Uh, no no question about it, certain parts of of the organization. Uh, but but as you start to have this conversation, I'll give you a great example. We talked about GDPR earlier, and it was it, it was it's it, it's related. It's it's not a, a perfect uh, correlation to what you're talking about. But it was interesting. I spent a lot of time in Europe top, Europe talking to customers about GDPR and and all the impacts, and and so many people said. I, I really don't want to do it. I, this is being forced upon me. It's, it's, it's this added cost, to your point, that I don't expect to, uh, to get any benefit out of. It's just something that's being forced upon me. And, and, and um, yes, it benefits my customers, but operationally, it doesn't help me very much. But what, and and for, for several months, you know, probably a year, I, I heard that story. And then suddenly... As organizations started saying, "Hey, you know what? It's it's actually I, I started hearing the word catalyst. It, it's a it's forcing me to do something. It's a catalyst for for making me do something that I probably should have been doing already. It's it's giving me forcing me to get access to my information, to understand my information, uh, to classify it in some cases. And when you start doing all of those things, guess what? I get some benefits out of it on the back end. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's a parallel to, to digital transformation in some ways in that it's, it, I think people often look at, you know, IT in general or digital transformation or GDPR is, is the cost center. But once they find out what they can do when they, when they really start doing it right, it ends up being a, a benefit to the organization in many different ways. So it's funny because you, I often, you know, so a data lake is a place where you basically store all your raw data that, that you can then use across your organization to do analysis and transformation, all kinds of stuff. And it makes me think of like that, you know, a lot of these organizations maybe just had these like, you know, like more like a dump where they had all this data and they had no idea what was in it. And now, oh, I'm actually getting some value out of this because we've had to like kind of organize it and understand what's there and filter it and all that. Exactly right. Yeah, there's people. I, I use that that analogy all the time. It's it, people would would have all this information, and they they back up the dump truck, they they load everything into it, and they might move it somewhere else, but they don't actually look at what's being moved from one place to another, and well, what value actually exists within that. And then guess what? There's another dump truck over here, and if you and the analytics, as you know, are only as valuable as the amount of information you can apply to it. And if you can get more context out of more information across the organization. You know, the example I used about, it's a public uh, uh, reference, but Auckland, uh, the, the city of Auckland, and, and being able to look at social media feeds and their license plates and all these different things to be able to figure out what the risk is to, the, to their, 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 their employees, but their, their citizens. Uh, you start to see the value by taking information from different data silos and applying analytics across all of it. So I, I completely agree with your point. I'm going to ask another question that won't ask another one until one of my co-hosts asks. But <laughs> are you seeing anything interesting happening with data around COVID? Obviously, maybe you can't talk about any specific examples, but I'm just curious if there's any, I've been trying to see if there's anybody doing fun stuff out there with IoT or anything like that. Yeah, it actually, our, we have a couple of different technologies. Uh, Idle, which is which analyzes unstructured information, and then Vertica, which analyzes structured data. 
and, and both of those technologies, obviously analytics technologies, are being used in different ways to track the spread of, of COVID around the world. Uh, we have very specific case studies that are that are happening right now. So yeah, they are, and, and, it, and it's interesting to see. And it's and it, they're they're being used in, in the case of Vertica by some partners that are embedding our technology, leveraging the technology, applying something on top of that to be able to, to track the, the the proliferation of of, of this uh, you know, pandemic around the world. Now it's my turn to ask kind of a tough question. Uh, that is, uh, we're talking about AI, ML, all the great ways you can correlate data and use it. Of course, whenever someone's doing that, there's also ethics concerns. Uh, do you provide guidance to your customers on how to navigate the ethical waters of having that data and being able to correlate it? Yes, sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it, that's really, in, in our minds, we, we provide you the tools and, and, and it's, it's up to you to determine your ethics because, you know, frankly, uh, as you, you've heard, I've kind of cut my teeth in, in, the, in the legal and compliance world. Uh, my, my definition of, of what's ethical might be different than yours. And you're regionally, geographically, there might be some differences as well. So I think you, 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 you want to help and you want to make sure that, that you provide them some, some guardrails. But uh, to go in and, and tell them, you know, here, here's what you need to do, it really depends on uh, a number of additional factors, some being... Uh, around verticals and compliance and, and requirements that we may not have visibility into or the experience that they do. So it's, it, it needs to be something that, that they really own. We can help and we can certainly help tune the technology, but, but to, to, to provide the, you know, the, the specific guidance is, is something they really need to do, generally speaking. Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv jobbook. That's devchat.tv slash job book. So okay. a quick uh, follow-up question I have is, I know there's always a point in a digital transformation where it gets really hard. What do, what do you say to customers to help get them through that really hard part of that digital transformation into the, the, the promised land of the uh, new digital age, I guess, if you will? Yeah. What do you tell a customer when it becomes hard, making the changes becomes hard? Well, I think you start with reminding them what their objectives were, you know, and, and that's, that's true of anything. You know, when it gets hard, you forget, you lose sight of what you're trying to accomplish in the first place. And you know, resetting that, re- reestablishing, look, you know, let's, let's talk about what you were, why you came to us in the first place, what you, why you set out this investment uh, is, is really step one. And, and I, I find that, that resets expectations and, and, and you know, hits the re- reset button, if you will. Um, so I, I'd say that's that's part one. Uh, part two is you want to analyze what's making it hard. Is it, is it hard because your senior management is changing their, moving the, the goalposts, if you will? Is it hard because you, you don't have the budget to do all the things you wanted to do? Is it hard because uh, there, there was you know, risk introduced that you didn't expect? Uh, but either to you personally or to your organization. And by, by asking those questions, you start to get to a point where you can, you can 
address the root cause of the problem, what they're, what they're really struggling with. Um, you know, budget, you can't necessarily address uh, if, if it's completely taken out. But, but if you say, okay, so your, your budget has been reduced by 30% uh, over the next year, and really what, let, let's look at how we can stair-step this problem or the solution, if you will, uh, so that we can solve, use whatever budget you have now as appropriate and then put yourself in a position to solve the next problems over time. So it's, it's, it's asking the right questions, uh, reframing the problem, and then often it's, it's helping them you know, tr- troubleshoot the problems at a you know, very sort of micro level in some cases to, to help them uh, get, get back on, on track. Thank you. That's really helpful. And I think ultimately it's a, a people process. It's not just a digital process. So you got to work the people angle on it and essentially reassure them, that kind of thing, probably. People, people process technology, the, the classic. You, you have to address all three angles. And uh, new, new and unexpected things always come up. And uh, if, if I think the other thing is, is the, the classic who moved my cheese. You have, you have to help people understand that the cheese will move often. And uh, you need to be able to evolve to, to address that um, as, as a person, as an organization, uh, to be able to get to the right position o- over time. Excellent. Well, I think, uh, is there anything else anyone wants to ask or discuss before we move on to picks? So is there, is there any more customer transformation pro, um, examples that you felt like would be helpful or interesting to the audience? I know we've got four things here from sustainable farming, improved healthcare. I just didn't know if there was something that we specifically hadn't covered that you wanted to kind of share with us, Joe. Well, those are a couple of good ones. I talked about Aquaman Transport is another one. The, the, the healthcare one's a really interesting one. So you, you, you tend to think of healthcare being doctor-patient, and, and there's certainly that element of it. I grew up in a, a medical household myself. Um, but what this company is doing that's interesting because they were able to digitally transform is, is they, they look at records. They're able to see what's, what's happening behind the scenes, uh, and, and they've done a couple of really important things. One, they, they've been able to identify specific risk factors by looking at, at the data, and they've actually helped identify and, and helped doctors take action to prevent or address sepsis. So to, to protect their, their patients even more uh, by someone behind the scenes looking at the, at the information that the doctor has, but, but isn't able to see, you know, a, a much greater set of, of information. It's not saying they're bad doctors. It's they don't have access to the full breadth of information that's, that's available. But in addition to that, they're also leveraging the technology and their interaction, these doctors' interaction with the technology to provide coaching on the back end to help them improve how they deliver care as well. And, you know, so there's, by breaking down or adding another dimension, maybe is a better way to say it, uh, to to the the delivery of, of healthcare uh, through digital transformation, you're you're seeing many different ways where it's benefiting uh, a doctor and in, in, in his or her ability to deliver, but also the patient on the back end uh, and, and what the outcomes they have. And I think that's really kind of an interesting and exciting example that uh, that crystallizes what digital transformation can do um, in, in in different ways. Yes, we all know it can in streamline processes. We all know it can. Can can help organizations be more flexible, but these these they, they make it more personal uh, 
uh, is something where I see, I tend to find a, a more interesting story. With the doctors, are they actually, they are when they're coaching them, are they coaching them to enter like more information? Or I, I guess I'm curious what, what's going on there. Well, I can't give away too much, but it's, uh, it's, but really they're, they're looking at what they're doing, what they're looking at, providing additional information. Hey, did you think about this? There's, there's, this person has these, you know, these couple of, of, of situations, you might want to look at some additional information or, or think about this problem a little bit differently. Uh, it, it is, is really, you know, a simple way to summarize it. Okay. Yeah. It makes me think of like how it's really easy to kind of get a little tunnel vision where it's like, you know, if nine out of 10 people who walk through have these five diagnoses and that, that 10% maybe gets a little neglected because you're just like, it's some really weird edge case. Maybe it's early onset, some chronic disease, you know, like. There's some you know. analogy involving zebras and horses. I remember yeah. involved in that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah, no, that's. I, I think you're absolutely right. We, we we all know somebody that's had an edge case that was di- diagnosed one way, and and ultimately with additional information, they were diagnosed a different way. So it's. I, I think you know the, the more information. Why wouldn't you want more information uh, mm-hmm. in your doctor's hands uh, to be able to make the right decisions for you? Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, sure. thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. Thank you for answering our questions. We really appreciate it. Yeah. And with that, let's go ahead and move on to picks. So at the end of every show, we all uh, name one or two things. They can be technical. They can be non-technical. It it doesn't matter, but just something that's been very useful to you recently. And I'll go ahead and start. I have two. Uh, The first is a Coursera uh, course sequence called Accelerated Computer Science Fundamentals. So I I have 10 years of experience as a developer, but I learned by doing. Um, I took some computer science coursework, but I never took the 300, 400 level courses where you really dig into those fundamental algorithms and data structures. Uh, So I decided I need to, after 10 years, I need to learn this or at least have more context for it. I found this specialization on Coursera. It's been really, really helpful. Uh, It's taught through the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, which is one of the best computer science courses or schools in the world. It's It's great in that I work with Rust. I work on the Rust language as part of my work at at Mozilla. And learning C++, which is the language it's taught in, is making me appreciate what Rust does so, so much more. So if you're looking for getting that that fundamental grounding, I highly recommend that course sequence. My other is, speaking of distributed computing, big data, COVID-19, folding at home. So Folding at Home is a system, it's through a university, I don't remember which one off the top of my head, where if you have spare computing power, you have spare computing cycles, it's a lot like SETI at home back in the 90s, uh, in early 2000s, you can volunteer you know, basically give that computing power to this project, which is working on mapping different proteins, running simulations, et cetera. All of this is so they understand how the virus works better and how they can better counteract it. So I highly recommend if you haven't downloaded that, go ahead and check it out. And with that, let's uh, head on over to Tyler. Great. Thanks, Nell. Um, So the last episode, Nell was recommending Animal Crossing. And I want to admit that I have uh, joined the island life and I have that. And so I do uh, want to echo that from last week. Um, But one of the things I use almost all the time is uh, this thing called a rocket book. And uh, it, it basically is a reusable 
uh, notebook that uh, you can erase and, and, and write on, and then it has an app where you can scan it and, and send it to the cloud. Um, and I don't know. I, I've really enjoyed the Rocket Books. I've, I've bought a couple of them as they, they are fairly durable, but they do wear out a little bit over time. And so uh, I'm thinking about getting another one, which probably means that this one's uh, going to go to my son and he can draw on that. <laughs> uh, and then this week I've been working a lot with Terraform. So, you know, one of my favorite books that helped me uh, cut my teeth on Terraform a few years back was the Terraform book uh, by James Turnbull. So that's my other main pick for, for this week. Thanks. I am also a fan of that book. And I remember going through it uh, when I spun up my first data cluster with Terraform. I said, I feel like Elsa from Frozen. I'm just, you know, shoom, uh, doing a little magic and I've instantly got a cluster set up for me. So, uh, Scott, how about you? Yeah, you know, I will, um, I will endorse some of those uh, recommendations as well. So I, I actually as well have a rocket book and it's really great because you basically can, especially if you're doing drawings or, you know, crazy brainstorming type stuff, it's a, it's a good solution to turn notes into a digital artifact. Um, kind of my core recommendation is actually, uh, so over the years I, I would buy no these really nice, you know, moleskin notebooks and, and then never want to write in them because I wanted to put like really valuable stuff in them. I never wanted to just like write down like, oh, call this person or something like that. And what I did, yeah, you could use a, you definitely could use a rocket book for it. Um, but what I, one of the things that really transformed my, it was all, you know, I, I don't know, I guess at some level I was like making, making those note, notebooks way more important because they have like really nice paper and all this stuff. And so I like, they had to be something important. So what I did to kind of like break my resistance to, to notes, because um, I just wasn't taking very many notes. And I know how important notes are to remembering and creating follow-up and just kind of general good work habits. And so I started just buying cheap yellow legal pads. And because I don't care anything about them and they're not important to me at all, like I don't, like I now have like a closet, like boxes full of yellow legal pads. And so I would just encourage anybody who wants to do more note taking to just get something cheap and don't, don't sweat it too much and just, just do note taking. I also do, I also use U Ulysses a lot on the digital side. Um, I really like it because of Markdown. Um, but uh, yeah, I think notes are a really important tool and worth investing and working to improve those systems. So uh, that's my pick for the week. Thanks, Scott. Joe, how about you? Well, I, I too have a rocket book. I do have a, a pad, a, a several pads of, of yellow uh, paper right here to my right. So I agree with both of those comments. I'm going to take, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to take it a slightly different. So you, you talked a little bit of, now about uh, you know, education and, you know, one of the things I do is I end up in, in, in my state doing a lot of interviewing for, for high school kids that are, have applied to, in this case, Cornell. And invariably they're, they're students that are, uh, on, on the technology, or at least the STEM, the STEM side of things. And, and they always ask me a couple of questions, you know, and, and the one big one is, well, what do I do differently? What, what should I, how should I think of, of my career? And, I, and it's, it's not just high school kids. It's, I, I've, I've worked with, I've, I've managed a number of, of engineers and, and very you know, highly technical people uh, in the past. And I always give them similar advice, which is, you should absolutely focus on the technology. Learn that bit, you know, 
because that's that's going to be the core of what you do if that's if that in fact is your passion. But you know, make sure that you take some other classes as well. Broaden your horizons, but importantly, probably most importantly, take some communications classes because even if you're working in a you know in a lab, even if you're 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 not interacting with a lot of of, of people all the time, eventually you're going to have to make a case for a project you want to do or sell an idea, maybe not sell a product, but sell an idea and having the ability to communicate what you're thinking and articulate the pros and cons and the value of, of what your project is, is something that benefits everyone. So that'd be my big pick uh, for, for any of, of your listeners that are on the younger side that they're building out their careers, you know, think broadly you don't have this make you marketer uh, <laughs> by, by learning to taking some communication classes. It, it just makes you a better uh, technology employee. Awesome. And I endorse that message. I'm a member of Toastmasters, which is a public speaking organization. Sure. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you. That's great advice. Uh, thank you again for being here with us. And to our listeners, again, we hope you and your family and friends are safe and we will be back in your ears next week. Take care, everyone. Thanks, Nell. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.